The students can go ahead and head back to junior church if they'd like. <clears throat> it has been a fun week watching the students sing and dance, and they were talking about trying to lead songs, and I was really nervous that they were going to try to get some of you to do the power shuffle, and that we might have to call an ambulance. So I was glad when they decided to just do that as a special it was also commented that we did some mountain moving on Friday, and I laughed because we were praying all week that the mountains wouldn't move because they were just stapled up, and sometimes staples don't hold very well. But um, this morning, we're going to be looking at decisions uh, and prayer's role, in, the role of prayer in our decisions. But sometimes I wonder if it's possible to be both wise and dumb. We know, we know people that are very intelligent, but they're not very wise. I, I remember one time hearing a coach say to a player, probably wasn't the most appropriate thing, but they said, you're the dumbest smart person I know. Because they were really intelligent academically, but they really struggled with other things. And we know people that may be really intelligent, but they lack wisdom. But I wonder if it's possible to have wisdom, but not be very smart. I say this because of Solomon. I don't know if you remember Solomon, but Solomon is a mess. It, scripture says that he is wise. It even says, God says that nobody's wisdom will match Solomon's wisdom. It, he penned many of the Proverbs. The, the book of Proverbs starts out saying that they're from him. There are a few that from other people. He penned some of the Psalms. The book of Ecclesiastes is typically attributed to him. And then the Song of Songs is from him. A lot of what we call the wisdom literature of the Old Testament is from the pen of Solomon. But yet he kind of seems dumb. I just don't get it. And so today we're going to do a bit of a character study looking at Solomon and a couple different points in his life. And we're going to start in 1 Kings chapter 3. In your pew Bibles, that's page 282 if you want to turn there. This may be familiar to many of you. It's a story that's told a lot. But the, the context, I, we're, we're going to skip the first couple of verses, but the context says that he had just married Pharaoh's daughter, Pharaoh from Egypt, he had married Pharaoh's daughter in order to form a political alliance with Pharaoh. And then it talks about how he goes up to the mountain to offer sacrifices, and that's where we're going to pick up. I want to start by reading verses 3 through 9 and then pause for just a moment. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 3 through 9. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was a great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept him this great and steadfast love and have given him 
a son to sit on the throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for, multi for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this your great people? I, keep your finger there, because we're going back here in a minute. But Solomon is posed with this question that many of us, if not all of us, have answered hypothetically at some point in time in our lives. If you could have three wishes or two wishes or one wish and you could ask for anything you wanted and you were guaranteed to get it, what would you ask for? Solomon, God shows up to Solomon in a dream and says, Solomon, I will give you whatever you ask for. What is it that you want? And many of us, as we have answered, as we have answered that, have said more wishes or money or power or health and a long life, or there's all kinds of things that we've responded with. And Solomon just says, God, I want the wisdom to govern your people. I'm intrigued by that because it's quite a selfless reply. And so he says, God, give me wisdom so I can know the difference between good and evil and I can do what is right. Notice what God says in verses 10 through 14. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and not asked for yourself a long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before, been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Go ahead and keep your finger there. If you set the Bible down, keep it open, because we're going to be going back in a few more chapters here in a moment. But did you see what God said? Because you asked for wisdom and not a long life and not for wealth and not for all of these things, I will give you everything that you didn't ask for in addition to wisdom. And what's interesting is I remember hearing this story as a, as a child and thinking, okay, let's just start praying for wisdom. But as we do that, we do it differently than Solomon because often we're thinking, okay, if I ask God for wisdom, he's gonna give me wealth and health, and all of these things. But Solomon didn't have that in mind. But what is interesting to me is verse 14. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Doesn't wisdom demand that be fulfilled? I have trouble separating the idea of wisdom apart from keeping God's commands. In fact, when you read through Proverbs, the wisdom of Solomon, he says, if you want to be wise, keep God's commands. It's, they're directly connected, which is interesting when we fast forward to 1 Kings chapter 11, 
Go ahead and flip over there a few pages. It's nine pages over from where you're at now. Page 291. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites and on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrificed to their gods. These are not little pretty gods and goddesses that are nice little treasures and knickknacks. The, the ashtoreth, we have young ones in here, so I'm going to try to describe this as PC as possible. Or PG as possible, sorry, not PC. The Ashtoreth was a fertility god, goddess. They worshipped them by building images that celebrate fertility. In fact, research has been done to show that they would have not just these big statues of fertility instruments, they would also have little ones in their house that they would use for acts of worship. Wooden or metal fertility images and instruments that they would use to practice their worship rituals with. Then you have Molech. The sacrifice to Molech, we see later in the Old Testament, God is really angry with Israel. In fact, Molech is one of the reasons that I am terrified for what is coming for our children and grandchildren. Because Molech, the way that you worship Molech, and it was often believed or it's been researched and they say that there was this big metal or clay, yeah, incinerator. And it was this hollow statue of some sort of figure that looked like what they thought Molech did. And so it was this hollow incinerator and there were arms out like this that led into the mouth and they would kindle this fire inside and you worshiped him by throwing your children into his arms that would tumble into his mouth and into the fire. 
their sacrifice to Molech that Solomon built was killing their children. We don't worship Molech, but there are a lot of things that we worship that cause us to kill our children. These were not just little convenient rabbit's foots that they carried in their pocket. These were nasty, vulgar, crude, profane, murderous gods. And Solomon, the wisest person that ever lived, was building these altars to them. That is why I wonder if you can be wise and dumb. Because Solomon was an idiot when you look at the stuff that he did. 700 wives. Anybody want to sign up for that? Three hundred concubines, which was for Solomon all of the benefits of a wife, but none of the privileges of a wife. And so I wonder what kind of lessons can we learn from Solomon's decision making? Because that's our idea today, is looking at this idea of being a house of prayer and what, how that plays into making decisions. And, and the first principle I see is that if you know God's word, you can know God's will. There are some things that we say, I just wish God would make it clear. I wish I knew what God wanted me to do. Often it's obvious based on his word. Solomon should have known better from knowing God's word that that was ridiculous. God had made clear, don't do these things. Yet Solomon did. Solomon writes about the woman of immorality in the Proverbs. And sometimes I wonder if he wasn't writing from the experiences that he had. There are just certain things that are obvious based on God's word. Now, we kind of mar them trying to argue interpretation. Uh, for example, using Solomon, the issue of marrying other women or marrying from other nations was not an issue of racial integrity and making sure that none of the Israelites were biracial, like has been popular belief. The issue, if you remember, in 1 Kings 11 was because they would lead their hearts away to worship other gods just like Solomon did. It, there's a section in Numbers where this happens and there's like 20,000 Israelites that are killed by the sword because they have began intermarrying with another nation that is leading them away and there 20-some thousand of them are killed and they're having this big national meeting to say repent and turn back to God. It is wrong for you to be marrying these women because they are leading you to worship other gods. And one Israelite guy walks in front of the entire camp with one of the Ammonite, I believe, if I remember correctly. I might be wrong on the nation, but they're all the same. They're all pagan. He walks across with a pagan woman and walks into a tent strutting with his chest puffed out. And Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, grabs a spear and goes in with one swipe and shoves it into the abdomen of both of them. 
And God says his name will be in esteem forever because he was angry for the, the righteousness of God. Because they were leading people astray. And so what that means for us is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians and being unequally yoked. It's not about racial integrity. It's about religious integrity. Do you remember Rahab? Anybody remember Rahab from the book of Joshua? She wasn't an Israelite. In fact, she was a prostitute from a pagan nation. Guess whose genealogy she is in? Jesus's, which means Jesus was not one single race. He had ancestors that had an interracial marriage. Ruth was a Moabite. She also is in Jesus's genealogy because she was David's grandmother. It was about the religious integrity because God knew that Women turn men's hearts away. All we've got to do is look at our culture. What's the number one marketing technique for any company trying to sell anything? It's not hard to get men to go do something stupid. Sometimes there are other things there, but it's absurd It is absurd for us to ask God to bless something which he has already said he is against. It's absurd for us to watch a Christian and a non-Christian get married and say, God bless their marriage. We should be saying to the Christian, don't do this because it's against God's will. Sometimes we don't have a clue what God wants because we neglect his word. That's why I say if we know his word, we know his will. And often we neglect it, making the excuse, well, I don't read much because I just can't remember what I read. I'm sorry, but that is a really ridiculous, absurd, nonsensical argument. I can't remember what I read, so I'm not even going to try. Really? I only remember a a fraction of what I read, so I'm not going to read anything, and then I don't have to worry about remembering anything. Isn't a fraction better than nothing? And I think it also shows that we don't trust God's word to be true, because in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11, he says, my word never returns void. It always brings fruit. So for you to say, I don't remember anything, so I'm not going to try is to say, you do not believe God to be honest. Because he says, you will never walk away without it bringing forth something. It's just logically flawed. Knowing God's word means we know his will, which make a lot of decisions fairly easy. Because we, it's obvious. Should I steal this or not? No! I'll move on, sorry. We need to seek God's wisdom. Solomon does it once. But here's the, I think this is the connection between being wise and dumb at the same time. We read from James 3 at the beginning, and James identifies 
that worldly wisdom is different from godly wisdom. In fact, he even says worldly wisdom is demonic. It's not God's wisdom. I, I really think that Solomon missed something. I, he, one, he was really wise in the ways of the world. And I think he had some godly wisdom. He just didn't practice it very well. But when we are making decisions, the wise, godly answer, God, the wisdom that is God's wisdom, that answer may not be the expedient answer in the eyes of the world. As an individual, as a family, as a congregation, we need to be seeking God's direction for our decisions. I remember, I don't remember who it was, so I apologize, but I was listening to a sermon or a discussion fairly recently, and it was discussing how often in churches we have board meetings or congregational meetings and we make really big decisions, and we will spend hours on end unpacking the pros and the cons and is this good or is this good or what would be expedient for us? And we never stop to pray. And we're not talking the compulsory, you have to start a meeting with prayer and end a meeting with prayer. When was the last time as an individual, as a family, or as a congregation, you remember in the midst of trying to make a decision saying, you know what? Rather than just talking about what is better financially or what is better for the growth or what is better for this or what is more convenient, we need to stop and we need to pray and ask God to give us wisdom. I don't know that I've ever seen that done. Not enough times to stick out in my mind very well. We're really good at talking through things with earthly wisdom and we can even throw Bible verses in there, but we, when was the last time we stopped and we prayed and said, God, what, what are you leading us to in this decision? We need to be seeking God's direction for decisions. We can talk until we're blue in the face and be nowhere nearer finding God's will than when we first began. Because sometimes what makes sense to the world and what seems like wisdom doesn't, isn't what God's leading to. I really wonder what it would have been like if Solomon was, would have practiced prayer the way Nehemiah did. Now maybe he did and we just don't see it, but if you read the book of Nehemiah several times over and over, you see Nehemiah, he's going to the king and the king says, what's wrong? And he says, so I stopped and prayed and then I t answered. It sounds like just a really quick, God, give me, give me the words to say in my response kind of prayer. There are several times that Nehemiah does that, and I wonder if Solomon would have done that, how would his life have been different? Even in those areas which should be known because of Scripture, like all of his wives, maybe even especially in those areas, Prayer keeps us in line with God because it makes us pause before making that politically expedient decision and say, God, what is it you want? And it gives God the time to say, you remember my word? Because this isn't in line with that. I don't, want, <clears throat> I don't want you to make political alliances through marriage. I want you to trust me because you answer to me.
Israel answers to me. Your family answers to God. And so those areas in which we should know through Scripture, even prayer helps there because it helps us recall that. It gives God the opportunity to work. The the last lesson I think we see through Solomon is the commitment to obedience. We need to commit to obedience. We have to decide before we seek God's direction that we will be obedient no matter what that direction is, whether it's the answer we like or not. I know I've discussed this, but it's the most appropriate example I can think of from my own life. When I was in junior high, I I felt a call to ministry. When I got into high school, I started having people talk about the potential of playing football in college. And initially, I said, no, I, I feel that God has called me to ministry. But as I went on, I liked the idea of playing ball more than following what God was leading me to. And so I began to change the fleece that I threw out so that it would suit what I wanted. And I made sure that no matter what happened, the answer I received was the answer that I wanted rather than what God was leading me to. So I spent three semesters being an idiot because I had not decided to be obedient to God no matter what he led me to. And as God was working on me then, and got my head where it belonged, I made a decision then that no matter what, if I sensed God leading me in a direction, I was going to follow it because I was tired of not. No matter whether it was what I wanted or whether it was painful or convenient, if that was what God was leading me to do, I was going to be obedient because it's just easier, spiritually anyway. We have to decide before we ask God's direction that we're going to be obedient because often it's not what we're thinking it might be or not what we want. Did you notice in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1, it's before this even happens. This is where I just, I think Solomon misses it because verse 1 says that Solomon had just married Pharaoh's daughter in a political alliance. And then he turns around and says, God, give me wisdom to do what is right. He had already decided he was going to do what he wanted to do because he was already going against God's will. And then in chapter 11, that's one of the charges against him. Pharaoh's daughter is one of the women listed as the the pagan women that Solomon married. It does no good to seek God's direction if we're not going to obey what he calls us to do. If you're going to do what you want anyway, don't even insult God by asking his direction to ignore him and tell him that you know better than him anyway. It's pointless. So, we're going to spend a little bit of time praying. Pray and commit yourself to obedience. Pray to God and commit your obedience to him no matter the cost and ask for the strength to follow through in that.
Lord, I recognize that what I am encouraging us with right now is not easy. Because I know that from my own experiences that that obedience that you call us to sometimes isn't what we want. Sometimes we would rather do something different and we try to ignore that and shift what you're leading to fit what we want and you are persistent to say no do this so i pray that we would commit before we ever start asking for your direction in a decision that we would commit to being obedient no matter what and i pray that you would give us the strength to do that give us the strength to be obedient as we face compromise in our culture Give us the strength to be obedient if and when persecution comes and we start seeing friends and family members die for what they believe. May we be willing to follow you no matter what. Amen. I want to encourage you to pray about God's word. Because I really believe that one of the reasons that we often struggle discerning God's will is we just don't know his word well enough. So spend a little bit of time praying that you would have a desire to know God's word so that you can know his will and pray that you would retain when you do that. God, as I think about this idea of knowing your word and our, our shortcomings there, I can't help but think of the conversations I've had and pictures I've seen of school tests from 80 or 90 years ago and how our culture has been dumbed down since and what people know at certain ages doesn't line up with where it was 80 or 90 years ago. Lord, my, my fear, my, my speculation is that we as a culture haven't just been dumbed down academically, but we've, we've done that spiritually as well. On, if we're really honest, there are times where watching TV or watching a movie is more appealing than reading your word. We have time, we just waste it. And sometimes the reason that we struggle to retain what we read is because we spend a lot of time wasting time and letting our brains be fried by ridiculousness. I pray that you would give us a desire for your word. I pray that you would give us the ability to retain things as we read, that you would stand true on your promises you always do, that your word, when we invest ourselves in it, does not return void. That if we really spend time reading your word, if we 
get engaged in it and don't just read it absentmindedly to check it off and say we did it, but if we really read it desiring to learn, there will be some sort of seed of something that sticks for us. Give us a desire and give us retention. Amen. Lastly, I want to encourage you to seek God's direction in those areas that are extra biblical, for lack of a better term. Those things that may not be biblical decisions, whether it be your vocation or your location. Because often God leads us in those areas for a reason. Sometimes he wants us to stay put for a reason. I had a professor that was moving to a different community and one of the things they were doing as they were shopping for a house is they weren't just looking for a house that fit this checklist of what they wanted. They were spending time saying, God, where do you want us to be so that we can fulfill the purpose that you have for us here? Because they recognized that where they lived was an outreach of their ministry. Is that how we go about finding a place to live? Or do we just go with what is best for us? Uh, When was the last time we thought about putting a decision like that to prayer? Because usually what we do is say, God, please make sure that they accept this offer. Or God, help me get this house. Rather than saying, God, where do you want me to be? And so there are those decisions that may not matter biblically, but often it matters because God has a purpose in them. And so as an individual, as a family, and as a congregation, we need to take those decisions to God. So I don't know if you're having one of those right now, or maybe it's something in the future. And this is where we learn from Solomon, because we can pray for general wisdom in those decisions, and we can also, like Nehemiah, specifically pray at those certain times. But spend a minute either generally asking for wisdom, or maybe there is something that's going on in your mind and in your life that you want to make sure that God is leading you in that direction. Lord, help us to keep in mind that many, if not all, of the decisions that we make, even if there is no clear biblical command in a certain way, all of those decisions that we make, you have a vested interest in. May we seek your wisdom as we discuss things that are best for us individually. May we seek your wisdom as we make decisions as families, and may we seek your wisdom as we make decisions as a congregation. Even those small ones that we think, what does it matter? As as long as this is what makes people feel at home and feel comfortable and feel happy, then that's what's best. But sometimes you don't want us to feel comfortable. You want us to be stretched and challenged. So I pray that you would give us wisdom and that we would know when we need to seek wisdom for specific things. 
may we have the perspective of understanding that there are no insignificant decisions that we make. Everything has a direct impact on your kingdom purpose. Give us the wisdom to partner with you rather than to work against you. Amen. We need to be seeking God's will in our decisions. I believe that it is impossible for us to be a house of prayer that we are called to be as individuals, as families, and as a congregation if we don't. Here's a fun connection. Often people say we need to respect our bodies. Why? Because your body is a temple, right? You've heard people say, you shouldn't do that to your body because your body is the temple. We also use the Old Testament temple commands for why we need to respect the building. I just lost my train of thought. Oh, yes. (laughs) When Jesus cleanses the temple, he says, my house, my temple shall be called a house of prayer. Paul says your body is his temple. You are to be a house of prayer. And it is impossible for us to do that if we're not seeking his will in our decisions. When we do seek his will, we protect our witness because we don't make idiot moves like Solomon did. Solomon knew better, but he was too enticed by power and lust and greed and all the other things that caused him to make those alliances. But it also gives us the opportunity to participate with God in the ministry he is leading us to as individuals, as families, as a congregation. We cannot be the house of prayer we are called to be if we do not seek his direction when we make decisions. But when we do seek his direction, we are empowered to do great things for the kingdom. And so as a congregation, may we be a house of prayer. As families, may we be a house of prayer. And as Christians whose bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, may we be a house of prayer. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would follow through. That we would allow ourselves to be houses of prayer. That we would allow ourselves to have our witness protected as we make decisions that honor you and keep your name holy rather than walking around with your name on our back as we make decisions that dishonor you and profane your name. I pray that we would partner with you in the ministry that you have called us to. Reaching our loved ones and our neighbors and our friends and our enemies with the gospel. May you be glorified in our lives. May we have the willingness and the knowledge to be obedient. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.